That's right, folks. Pull up a piazza and an unfeasibly large ice cream. It's Golazzo. Talking about the wild and wonderful world of City Am. Much to discuss today. We've got a bit of Roma Milan. Pepe Signori, just turning 50. Juventus at Spurs. And, above all, a special focus on another of the weekend's birthday boys, Il Baggio Nazionale. Here in the studio with us, Gabriele Marcotti and James Castello di Appetito Sessuale. <laughs> How are you, boys? Very good. Great. Yeah, Gab? Just trying to, to, to work that out. <laughs> <laughs> just go yeah, with it. Castle with... of ap- sexual appetite. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Uh, James, over here, uh-huh. was uh, busy doing that Maradona thing last week, which is fascinating. Yeah, with uh, Asif Kapadia. Yeah. All right, nice. I, I had a chance to chat with Gianfranco Zola. On, on Monday, hopefully he should be coming in soon. Um, but he, he was also talking about the Maradona years, which he was, of, of course, part of. Uh, a young fellow just arrived from Sardinia when the, the first title arrived and his emotion at, at walking into the dressing room the first time and meeting Maradona and just thinking to himself, don't say anything stupid, don't say anything stupid. Yeah, so, fellow who famously you know, thought he was going to be starting a lot of games only for Maradona to wake up and bother to turn up. Yeah. towards the end of his time at Napoli. Still worked out pretty well for Gianfranco in the end. As I say, we hopefully should be hearing more about that because he's got a story or two to tell. Today, though, we're going to begin with a look back on another birthday boy, Roberto Baggio, 51 now, a man whose passing inflicted so much pain on followers of the Italian game, not least because of this record. Cremanini there with uh, out of Luna Pop, yeah, uh, with Marmalata uh, 25. Now that Badger's retired, it's not Sunday anymore, says Cesare. It Gabri- is today. <laughs> uh, Gabriele, I'm going to say he's, he was the greatest ever. Am I wrong? <sighs> I'm going to open up a gigantic can of worms here, but um, in my mind, no. I think I view him more as, as what could have been. Mm. I think in some ways he was probably the last of a certain type of, of, of generation, um, a certain type of player in the sense that Italy obviously has a whole history of, of number 10s in, in the 80s going back to one of my favorites, and I'm sure your favorites too, Pietruzzo Maillaro. Mm. Um, He's not my favorite. I didn't think he would be, but that sort of Mancini, Zola, um, Baggio generation, Del Piero, but what stood out for him is he was the last one who achieved so much while perhaps not being as athletically gifted as the other people in terms of stamina, work rate, flat out, pace, recovery. And I think he also probably was the last one who who was allowed maybe to, quote unquote, work a little bit less before sort of the, the, the Italian managers became obsessed with things like balance and tactics and so on. If you talk to people who were with him, at, especially at Juventus, they will point out that, you know, as great as he was, he, it, the, the contrast between him and Del Piero was, was obvious. Not because Del Piero was a better player, because it probably wasn't, but because Del Piero did so many more things and was much more team-oriented. In some ways, Baggio, I think, suffered from that. 
um, tactics first, the right. coach first ethos. If you talk about him being in an era that was more suited to him, it, it never struck me that the 90s was a more suited era to him. And, and there were times when, as you say, that obsession with tactics, notably when Carlo Ancelotti turned down a move uh, full Baggio from, from Parma cost him. And I think at Milan as well under Capello and then when Saki well, came in. Yeah, it's Saki's fault essentially now because he basically <laughs> brings in 4-4-2 and says there's no role for you in this kind of system and everyone becomes devotees of 4-4-2. It's not just Saki though because Baggio all the way through his career had singularly bad luck with with managers. and Maybe we'll touch on the reasons why uh, in, in the course of this chat. But we had the chance to meet him last summer when he was in tremendously relaxed form. He was always slightly closed, slightly withdrawn in his playing days, but he turned up in London last summer and we went out for a steak dinner, which I must admit I was taken aback by given that he's a Buddhist. <laughs> uh, but he was just he was just basically a, a guy, a bit of a geezer, who loved playing football and was pretty happy with the way that his career turned out, which is nice. Mm. Seemed like a completely normal guy. Um, I wasn't particularly starstruck. He didn't seem to have a big aura about him uh really um but i think that's one of the reasons why he's kind of so well loved um because yeah he did play for the big three in italy Juventus, Inter, and milan but i don't think he ever felt like he belonged to any of them um and there's this just sense that he was sort of everyone's everyone's champion everyone's player well and i think that was also down to obviously what he managed to do with the national side mm. but if you if you break it down and okay, we, we can't say he didn't. He only did it for a short while at a big club because otherwise Fiorentina fans will get angry. But in that time, Juventus, Inter, and Milan, you're basically talking about what eighteen good months, um, you know, where he was a difference maker and he was very, very good. And then sort of these games when he'd appear in like a playoff or whatever, and he'd do something, mm. but he didn't have that consistency. And well, yeah, part of that was because of people like Marcello Lippi, huh? It's a, it's a story of what ifs to a large extent, yeah. but at the same time, there's a danger with Badger because he did achieve so much. I mean, Ballon d'Or winner, FIFA Player of the Year back in the day when those were different. As you say, dragging Italy to the the World Cup final in '94 before rather ruining that legacy with the penalty. Roberto Baggio, the saviour of Italy throughout this tournament, he's missed it, and Brazil. He played in three World Cups and only lost one game. Wow, now that's an amazing statistic. Because you're not counting Brazil because it's penalties. Yeah. All right. Penalties are not a defeat. All right. So and the same why, goes with France in 98. Mm. That's why Germany have never, ever, ever beaten Italy in a competitive game, and they never will. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly won't exactly. at the next World Cup. So the streak will, will continue right. to, to Qatar and beyond. All right. Well, it's a Banjo stories. I think if you don't consider him the greatest player, he's certainly the one with the most romantic story. Would you say with the the triumphs, the tribulations, a career that almost never got started because of his well, his knees, the operations. Have. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, when he has that major knee blowout at Vicenza, it's a time when basically that was almost like a career-ending injury, and yeah, he still does not have knees like you know Gab does, you do, I do. He probably doesn't have any knees anymore. Yeah, I mean, the. the, the you, that is such a remarkable, such a good point, and so and, and it's so, so worth remembering too that while we talk about how it was another era, and and, and Italian football, you know, notorious his reputation for 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 being you know reluctant to go and give kids responsibility. When he was sixteen years old, he was starting in professional football in in Serie C, as it was then at Vicenza, 
and he was dominating. I mean, he was this little guy with, with the crazy curls who was just, just destroying everybody. I think that's remarkable. I mean, that, that kind of stuff just does not, does not happen. I mean, the only, the only other guy I can, I mean, maybe you, you remember somebody else, but in the modern era, the only other guy who did that was Mancini mm. at, at, at Bologna. Mm. Certainly in Italian football, yeah. Do you have a favourite, of the things that he did achieve, before we get into the what-ifs, of the things that he did achieve, do you have a favourite Baggio memory? Well, I remember the substitution in 94, which is not a favourite memory, but it stands out as kind of, yeah, Saki, this guy's crazy for, for taking, taking him off when they go down to 10 men against Norway. And, yeah, a number of members of that team thought it was still the right decision to leave Signori on rather than take him off. Um, Signori, who was probably playing left back at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, you do wonder whether... Baggio still scored in that game. He still scored, and but it was, was Dino Baggio. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you do wonder whether the reason why he thrived in World Cups is because you know, managers didn't get as much time as they maybe wanted with the team, and they couldn't drill them as well as they could hmm. the club teams. So Saki never perhaps had the control over that Italy side that he did over his Milan side. And, yeah, that is... That is, yeah, he was able to shake off those shackles. And that's, again, why there's just so much tension. I mean, so many managers, you mentioned it with Lippi, but Saki, Capello, Olivieri, they felt so threatened by Baggio, um, which is, is remarkable when you think you have one of the best players in the world at that time, if not the best player in the world, and you, you don't want to use him. Mm. It's so he goes to Juventus, where originally his manager is Maifredi, who's very much an arm-around-the-shoulder kind of guy with Badger, but that soon ends because Lippi comes in, who takes a very different approach, I think, to, to his players. When he goes to Milan, he's got Tabares, who's very much there to put an arm around his shoulder, but that soon ends because Arrigo Sacchi comes back and already hates Badger from everything that happened post-94. And then he goes to Inter and Lippi's back there again, and there's the famous incident with the no pepperoncino on your, or, or, or olive oil on your, your salad and all that. Ancelotti then fails to take him to Parma because etc. and so on. I, I mean, spoke to Ancelotti about this and he said, you know what? When I was there at Parma, I was a 100% disciple of Saki, of the Saki of back then. You know, I look back and I say, would I change my mind today and say, yes, please, I'll have Roberto Baggio? Of course. Mm. You know, and today we see Ancelotti as sort of this, you know, amiable, goofy guy. Oh, let's, let's, you know, sort of the galactical whisperer who gets the superstars to play together and keeps them happy. That's not who he was. 20 years ago and I had a chance to spend some time with him and you know he was he was very very clear about that uh, you would have made space for Baggio but I also think you know we drew the power with Mancini before who also could be bigger than the manager and often was bigger than the manager he often was the manager he often was the manager <laughs> but the difference is Mancini did that A he did it at Sampdoria which you know is, is a different dimension a different reality to, to those bigger clubs but B Mancini was a natural leader who people gravitated towards and Roberto Baggio was not he simply had a different personality and I don't think that his teammates would be willing to go to you know to go to bat for him they way the, the the way they would with the, the way they would with Mancini I think in that sense he was probably penalized for that as well okay when he went to Inter and there was this fallout with Lippi who hasn't got quite the same cuddle image that that Ancelotti does I'm, I'm just wondering, looking back, was there ever a suggestion that the whole JL World uh, mess had something to do with the very hard-to-understand problems that Lippi had with Badger? Completely froze him out of the team, penalised him in the weirdest ways. We're talking about the, the 
putting, not allowing him to put chilli pepper on his food or use olive oil or any of these things. This is Roberto Baggio you're talking about. And then it's finally forced to bring him back in for Inter's playoff to, to make it into Europe. And, and Baggio responds with two goals. And you just think, what could have happened to that Inter side if he'd been allowed to play in it? But here's another example. Cesare Maldini in 1998, when Christian Vieri and Roberto Baggio... Baggio had come back yet again from a, a knee injury and, and, and played his way into, into Maldini's thinking but was officially the backup to Del Piero. Now, the first game was against, what, Chile? Mm. And Baggio plays brilliantly. In training, you, you were probably there. I was. Yeah. In training, those two, Vieri and Baggio, had such a natural understanding. It looked like there was something really special there for Italy. But as soon as Del Piero was fit, he got the start up front in, in, instead of Baggio. How much that costs Italy, nobody will ever know. But it's just another example of a manager not giving this supremely talented player a... Uh, the, the the chance that he deserved. Yeah, I mean, I think we know how much it cost Italy because they lost in the quarterfinals on penalties to France and, you know, maybe would they have beaten Zidane's France at home with Baggio playing 90 minutes? I don't know. But I think what's... But I think what's pretty clear, though, is you had a situation where, you know, Del Piero, and even when he got old, he was seen as the guy, I don't want to use the word goody two-shoes, but the guy who just would do anything to please, you know. Yes, I will go and run around, you know, the pitch another 50 times and then I'll do this with quality. And he always said the right things in, in interviews and he was always polite. He was always a nice guy and whatever. You know, Baggio was always detached, you know. He was the Buddhist with a hair who never really, who never really said anything. He didn't like speaking to the media. Um... And again, you speak to Italian footballers in that generation played with them. They said, yeah, he kind of did his own thing in training. Like, all right, you know, we're going to do wind sprints now. And, you know, and, he, and he's jogging. And um, With those the, knees, you can understand that though, no? Maybe. But to the point that other people said, and again, maybe maybe it is down to the knee injury. I don't know. But, you know, the I, I remember Antonio Pintus, who, um, who was the um, fitness coach at Juventus. He's now around Madrid with Zidane, in fact. And... Uh, you know, and him telling me that, you know, Baggio was not a really top, top... Because I'm always interested in, you know, how, how athletic are these people. You're in on the conspiracy as well, <laughs> No, <laughs> so I'm not. But I'm saying is that was the viewpoint of it. And I think you have to make an allowance. Yeah, okay, yeah. you can do that, but then you've got genius. I mean, for me, you have to afford what the greatest memory is. I, I've got two, both linked in 1990. Okay. Which is, you know, one was that, that ridiculous goal in Czech Republic. E rimette in azione Giannini che scambia ancora con Baggio una posizione di mezzo sinistro. Ora si libera l'avversario, avanza verso il limite dell'area di rigore, pronto a entrare, viene infatti il segno avversario, tira rete, rete da parte di Baggio, stupenda azione da parte del nostro giocatore, stupenda rete. The other one was really stark, and to this day, I would love to know what was going through his mind. Was obviously that when he came back, because it was his move to Juve. I mean, this is a long, I think one of the absolute bitterest, nastiest one-way rivalries in Italy is Fiorentina towards Juventus. Mm. It's got many, many historical reasons for that. And I don't think Juve really care about Fiorentina. Very well, much. We, did, we talked about this the other day, and, and, and some people were tweeting in saying, you should come along to uh, Juventus Arena, or sorry, the Allianz Stadium. Next time Fiorentina in town, you'll see that Juve's ultras really do care about Fiorentina. Yeah, I, but anyway, not maybe with the same intensity. they don't have enough enemies. So <laughs> but no, but, uh, but that whole incident mm. with, with picking up the scarf and, and the penalty, I mean, 
you know, well, another I, penalty that he's remembered for after yeah. the ninety-one miss, ninety-four yeah. miss. It's remarkable when you think he would have been what twenty-three at the time, and just this absolute weight of the world on him. And, and it's a different situation. You know, this isn't Totti. You know, this is he was only at Fiorentina for what two years, something like that. Uh, fit two years, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, he's not from Florence. He's not mm. like he grew up with a with like a picture of of Kurt Hamrin and you know above his bed. <laughs> um, so for me, it, it's it's weird. I wonder if almost that karmically kind of set the tone for his entire time at Juve. That you know, once you do that, you're not necessarily going going to be loved. And I don't even know, I don't even know if he really cared enough to do it or if he was pushed into it. And maybe I like to think. Maybe from that point on, he says, like, you know what? I'm no longer going to allow myself to be pressured into doing anything. Not the fans, not the club. I'm going to do my own thing and what I think is best. Mm. I think that's probably a When he retired, he did say it was like a liberation. You know, there's some people who just can't walk away from the game. And he was kind of only too happy to. Because the pain that he'd gone through just just to have a career let alone the career that he had, mm. um, was was extraordinary, really. And um, the pressure that he played under for all those years, I mean, you talk about um, moving from uh, Fiorentina to Juventus, but for that to happen in the summer where you are having a World Cup in Italy, and you know, Italy are based in Florence, um, to play under that pressure and perform like he did in that tournament, where mm-hmm. he was not a breakout star, but... Going into that tournament, what it was, it was supposed to be Gianluca Vialli and Andrea Cannavale uh, leading the line, and instead it ended up with being Baggio and Totti Schilacci. Mm-hmm. Is pretty extraordinary. To me. Yeah. I added to it. It was an enormous feat. It was an enormous commitment for for a Juve team that was really looking to rebuild around him, and and then you get that business with the scarf and everything that follows. Yeah, people say that his his best, the best Baggio was either. At Fiorentina, or maybe it was maybe a little later, Bologna, well, Brescia. But in 93, well, yes. he has at Juventus. He wins the Ballon d'Or. He's extraordinary when they play in you the UEFA Cup, Cup final. Yeah. He scores 17 goals. Yeah, That he, was the year, wasn't it? Yeah. That, that was his year mm. at a big club on the big stage. Nice thing about Baggio as well is that he did kind of get a happy ending in a sense not the one that maybe his fans expected or or wanted but the last seasons at Brescia which featured probably his his greatest goal ever when he goes back to Turin with Brescia who he gets into Europe which I mean is just extraordinary for anyone who's followed Brescia okay he had some help from some of the players but just an extraordinary way to finish his career and that goal at the old Deli Alpi against his former club just an amazing ball over the top from a young Andrea Pirlo he's, he's almost at the halfway line and he just loops a classic an early but still classic Pirlo pass which Badger does what with? Well, all in the same movement. He manages to bring it down, but also take it around Edwin van der Sar. Um, the coordination uh, to do that is unbelievable. And the amazing thing is that, I think, because football fans are what they are, during his time at Bologna and Brescia, there was almost a bit of a Baggio backlash, I think, from fans of bigger clubs, because every week people were celebrating Baggio. Oh, look, he scored again, blah, blah, blah. And then people are pointing out, yeah, but they're all penalties and set pieces. There's Baggio rules, like if you, you know, if you breathe on him, it's a foul. 
<laughs> and, you know, and oh, stuff is nonsense and it was nasty and so on. But then when he did that and the fact that he did it, obviously, against Juve, uh, and it required such technique, it required the reading for him to get there and stuff. At that age, you know, I think everybody who went and kind of mocked his time at Brescia and Bologna is almost something like artificial. Um, I think everybody just had to stand up and, and, and applaud. I mean, because that was simply magical. Guardiola said he was the best player he ever played with. Wow. And when Badger went to see his Barcelona team play, he made sure that his manager's office afterwards, Lionel Messi, got to meet him. And he basically said, this guy is the best player I ever played with. Um, you know, you should watch some should watch, watch some Roberto Baggio. Well, Gabriele says he's not the greatest ever. Romantically, I still like to think he is. What do you say, James? When I grew up, he was the not only the most iconic Italian player, but the best player in the world. And I, it's pretty unique to look at as well. Yeah, you think of, as um, Gab was saying, that kind of ponytail, those curls. But also, he used to always play with his sort of socks rolled down, his shirt out. I remember when he was at Inter. His that squint as well, yeah. that kind of spaghetti western-esque squint. And he had like one of, just one earring in as well at the time. And uh, yeah, I remember when he was at Inter, yeah, his shirt used to play it so far, it used to be so big on him that you, you, wouldn't use, you didn't think you'd be wearing any shorts. It was that big, you know, it's pretty, pretty unique to look at. Badger then, a lot of the great campioni had a signature move, whether it was the Cruyff turn or the... One of those other signature moves. Um, Badger, though, he, he was different because he had a signature haircut. Has anyone else made a ponytail look that good? Can you I remember anyone so. with a similar ponytail? I mean, Emmanuel Petit, of course. But well, John Creese in Karate Kid. <laughs> that's, that's the other one. But in terms of on fit, was there anything you would say that defined his, a, a, a Badger move? Rosetting a penalty? I, I, for me, I think there was just a fluidity to what he did. He just looked very light. You know, I, and I think increasingly, you know, we're realizing even like little fellas, like whether it's Messi or, or Del Piero or whatever, you know, there has to be an element of power to be able to accelerate, to be able to change direction and so on. And that's what they do so well. Zola, another example, you know, you stand next to him and he's like, but Roberto Baggio, I think for me, there was always just like a lightness, like an airiness. He was a leaf blown on the wind. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Well, just going past players, skipping past players. Like this goal, he scored for Fiorentina against Maradona's Napoli. And they almost got through then. But Dunga finding Baggio. Now, what could he do here? It's a very impressive run by Baggio. And he's threatening to go all the way. And he has. A magnificent individual goal by Roberto Baggio. The new golden boy of Italian football. All the way from his own half then. Fiorentina sprung so quickly from defence to attack. Round two tackles, Renica, Francini beaten, and Giuliani too. And Baggio, what a goal. Roberto Baggio. More talk about Serie A after this. Put those cappuccinos and lattes down for a second while we talk beer. Our friends at Beer52 love Galazzo listeners so much they want to give you some free beer. And not just any old beer. Craft beer. And not just one craft beer. A case of craft beer. For free. All because you listen to Galazzo. Beer52 is the largest craft beer club on the planet. They search out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. 
Sign up now at beer52.com slash Italy and you'll get eight spectacular craft beers, some delicious bar snacks and Beer 52's award-winning magazine, Ferment. All you have to do is pay $5.95 for delivery. And if you decide that after this free taster that the club isn't for you, you can leave Beer 52 at any time. It really is a complete no-brainer. So head to beer52.com slash Italy and enter the promo code Italy, I-T-A-L-Y, to claim your free case today. Hmm. Now, one or two items of a more contemporary nature uh, to discuss. You've got Juve. What happened to them against Spurs? What happened to them in the derby? What happened to Buffon in the derby? Not a lot because he, he got dropped for Chesney. And what Spurs' chances are of, of, of making it through the tie with merely a, a, a pair of away goals in, in Turin. Uh, also, Roman Milan coming up this weekend, which is really interesting, especially given what Gennaro Gattuso, to many people's surprise, I have my hand up as one of them, what Gennaro Gattuso is managing to do with, with Milan, unbeaten since December not conceding goals anymore? Mm. Just remarkable. Is it remarkable or actually given the squad that he's got, is it pretty much what you should be expecting? Well, I mean, given they did spend, what, 200 million in the summer and they have the second highest wage bill in the league, these players, it's about time they actually turned up and started performing. But to be fair to Gattuso, a lot of what he's done is kind of common sense, but um, common sense is pretty uncommon, I think, in, uh, mm. in so many walks of life. And it's very straightforward what he's done. 4-3-3, play the players in their preferred positions. Yeah, it, and it, It's funny, though, because this is a very Italian conversation. When you said 4-3-3, <laughs> it makes sense, right? So Montella starts the season playing 4-3-3. Bonucci is a couple stinkers. And then we all develop our own conventional tactical wisdom. Ooh, but Bonucci can't play in a, in a two-man central defense. So then you got to change everything. You just signed this guy who's supposedly, you know, one of the top two or three defenders in the world, but then like, oh, look, it, you know, reminds me a little bit of some conversations people have at Old Trafford about that sort of uh, tall French midfielder. <laughs> but, you know, all of a sudden it's like he can't play, you know, he, he's played in the two-man defense years ago and he was really, really good. He did it, in fact, he did it at Juve as well at times. Mm. People seem to forget that. Um, yeah, he goes back to the four. I mean, I think Montella was unlucky as well. I think they created more than they conceded. And I think Gattuso, as James said, he makes common sense moves and, and, and they're there. Now, should the going get tough and should Gattuso get a little bit more stretched in terms of some man management issues, some tactical issues? You know, the jury's still very much out. But mm. for now, well done, Arino. Absolutely. You proved How? James Richardson wrong. Exactly. I was only basing it on the uh, curious spells he's had at Sion and, uh, or Sion and, 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 of course, Pisa. Yeah. Um, what about in Greece? How about in Greece? That is Malacca! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how worried should Milan fans, despite this very positive turn to their fortunes, about the latest news about Jung Hong Lee? <laughs> well, I think they should already be worried, no? Because I think the last time we spoke about this was when La Stampa had uh, put through this report that uh, the Guardia di Finanza um, were you know, saying that there'd been a number of red pl- flags raised by intermediaries and banks involved in the takeover and they were going to give that to a magistrate in Milan. Well, the, now the latest reports are that the Chinese authorities are calling in his debts, basically and putting up his assets for auction. Yeah, and and would like to uh, declare him bankrupt, mm. which uh, and apparently yeah, these court proceedings were going on this time last year when he was about to complete the takeover of AC Milan. So, you know, when it comes to like uh, validating his credentials... Um, say the banks involved working on Milan's behalf, mm. 
you know, what did they see that made they think, hmm, this guy's a stand-up guy. We, we, should, we should basically give him the club. How big a risk is this to Milan? The theoretical risk is he becomes insolvent and then they can't pay the Elliott loan back and, um, and Elliott takes over the club and mm. then it's anybody's guess. Um, this is a club that's already been relegated once because of... They're not going to be. They're not going to be relegated. Mm. I mean, I, don't, I, think, I think that's pretty much impossible because Elliott will go and they'll have an asset on their hands next October if Milan can't refinance. Right. And they'll get it cheap, yeah, yeah they've for, lent, for a lot less than it's worth. Yeah, they've lent him $330 million if he doesn't pay that back. That's essentially what they bought the club for. What, what I think is a risk is that story that was floated whereby they were going to... Um, Rangers fans, people of false college football, I might know what I'm talking about. They were going to create a new co and an old co and basically mm-hmm. put all the, the crappy debt in one company and then put all the good debt in the other company and finance against that. Basically, that would have just loaded an enormous amount of debt on Milan, which then would have become, I think, really dangerous. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. What would worry me about this is the attitude that some people, I'm going to say this once, that, that whenever you bring this up, Milan fans are going to say, ah, you know, everybody's against us, the system's against us, you know, you newspaper people. You know what? Like, first of all, it's good for newspapers and it's good for media if Milan are healthy and do well. Okay, that, that's, that's the fundamental thing. We all make more money when Milan are good and successful and punching their weight because they are probably the biggest brand in Italy alongside Juventus. Mm, all right. How good is Roma Milan going to be this weekend? How, what are you looking forward to most about this game? Well, what I've been surprised by is that Milan are now quite good to watch. I felt that against Sampdoria at the weekend. I mean, good to watch with Montella too. Yeah, no, true, but uh, I wasn't expecting this from uh, from Gattuso because mm. you know only only about three or four weeks ago, you know, when they were playing against Cagliari, he came out and basically said, "Look, we've got zits all over our faces. We're ugly, just like me. We're not Brad Pitt yet, but they're closer to being like Brad Pitt now than they were then." So. Yeah, they've got they've got some good players, Milan, as they should do after spending that amount of yeah. money. Um, we'll have to see how Roma do on Wednesday when they play Shakhtar. Whether they're tired they could go from all that, all the way uh, to there, yeah, going, what more than two thousand kilometers away to the freezing uh, Kharkiv. So, yeah. Yeah. whereas Milan will, will be playing a day later, but at least they're at home against Ludogorets, and they've already kind of sewn that up because mm. they won three 0 last week. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm psyched to get for for Chengitz to go and drag somebody under. Chengitz under. The yeah. Undertaker. Drag somebody Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Was it four goals in his last three games? He's uh Who are they going to sell him to for way less than <laughs> they it. should? Stop it. Yeah. It would be nice to see him in action while he still is for uh, the Giallo Rossi this weekend. Uh, the other thing we should talk about is a little bit later on next week, midweek, when we get the return of Juventus and Spurs 2-2 after the first leg. Quick, briefly, what was the reaction in the Italian press to the way that match panned out in Turin? Well, Allegri would say it was overreaction. He was furious with uh, the media afterwards. He snapped in his press conference saying that uh, you guys all think that winning the Champions League is easy. Um, It's not. You can't get to the final every year, which is entirely fair. Mm. Um, And Spurs are a decent team. Um, Showed themselves to be in Turin. Um, I do think it's going to be interesting this second leg because they'll have Matuidi back. They'll be able Dibala's to play back. exactly. They'll be able to play the the way they had been playing up until that point. Yeah, some understandable criticisms of Allegri for um, for the team that he put out or the change going away from what has done uh, 
uh, done so so well for them over the last what six or eight weeks or so. Um, you know how that game unfolded, where they were two 0 up and seemed to um, decide um, to basically sit back and defend that lead. I don't think that's well, that was entirely true. The Gazzetta's point that this was classic Italian behaviour in Europe. Yeah, yeah. But, whereas you don't win Champions Leagues like that. You do it by doing what, say, Man City did when you're four up, keep pressing forward. Yeah. What Spurs did essentially when they were two 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 and, and, and still pressing. Forward. I don't know what Gab thinks about that, but when I looked at that starting eleven, I thought even if you do get get a lead in that game. It's not a starting eleven where you think we can actually defend this lead. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I, the problem I have isn't that he decided to go and sit and uh, try to play on the counter. is that he did it with that group of players. When you've got Benedeschi, Douglas Costa, uh, Mandzukic, and Iwain, when and you normally have three midfielders, and now all of a sudden you've got two central midfielders, and one of them is, is Kadira, who is a stinker, and the other one's Pjanic, who's not exactly a, a defensive midfielder. Why you would allow yourself to be pushed back like that makes no sense. If you're going to do that, then, you know, have the cojones early in the game be like, hey, Benedetsk, you're coming on the bench and I'm going to send on, you know, Sturaro to kick people or or maybe even Marquisio we seem to forget about hmm. entirely. Um, and, and we're just going to be counterattacking. So no Benedetsky, no Benedetsky definitely at Wembley because he's now out following the, uh, the one who win in the Turin derby at, at the weekend. Dybala... Did feature in that game. Matuidi should be back for the second leg. Yeah, Matuidi should be maybe back this weekend. What do you think about Juve's chances, Gab? I think it's all to play for. I mean, I think Spurs have a tendency to go and concede things. And as poor as Juve were, let's not forget, they did score those two goals, right? One of them might have been offsides, but then they also missed a penalty. Mm. And there was that enormous Higuain chance that he fluffed in the first half. You know, Juve could have scored four goals while playing horrendously for 80 minutes. Spurs are are obviously a tremendous side, but I think also, I'm not saying the Premier League is a priority, but they're in a serious Premier League um, battle for mm. for a top four finish. But but kind of you, they have have a kind of interesting league situation as well, where they're in this race with a Napoli side that Absolutely. won't stop winning. But in the Premier League, every game is tough. It's not like in <laughs> Italy where. You know, you play all these rubbish teams that lie down yeah. for you, James. Come on, you should but know Gap's that. right. I mean, you're very in the middle of a gauntlet at the moment because they play Fiorentina away. They've just had the Turin derby. Mm-hmm. They play Atalanta back-to-back. Um, and then they play Spurs. I think then they go, they have to go and play Lazio. So, yeah, this isn't a easy fixture list for them. Yeah, um, it's a shame they have such a small squad and yeah. so few alternatives. <laughs> but I think both these sides think they can go out and win this game. And Spurs, let's not forget, as Gab says... They've not only got their, their sort of objectives in the Premier League, they now have a replay that will be played, what, in the week, in the week leading up against Rochdale. All right. Well, looking forward to seeing how that plays out. And many thanks for joining us in this look back today at Roberto Baggio and his phenomenal, divine career. James Horncastle, Gabriele Marcotti, grazie mille a voi. Looking forward to seeing you next week. Not sure what we'll be discussing then, but it'll be more Golazzo, Calcio-tastic stuff. So have yourselves a super week in the meantime. Do drop by one of our other Totally podcasts. And for now, from all of us here, it's a Rivadurci. You've been listening to Golazzo, the Totally Italian Football Show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. That was pretty good, wasn't it?
Not nearly enough football league, though. Why don't you give the Totally Football League show a try? You'll find us on Audio Boom, iTunes, all the other places you get your podcasts.